Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And today I have a very exciting guest. As you know, there are all kinds of amazing things happening in the world of software development. And one of them is that AI systems are increasingly our buddies along the way, helping to write code, to suggest things, to debug things. Today, we are lucky enough to have Doug Seven, who is the GM at Amazon for the Code Whisperer product, onto the podcast to talk about what they're doing and how he sees this whole sort of burgeoning field of tools. So Doug, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thanks, Ben. I'm super excited to be here. If there's anything I like talking about, it is Code Whisperer. So okay. let's get into it. We'll have to speak very quietly. So yeah, just you know, for folks who are listening, give a quick background. How did you end up where you are you know, as the GM of a product that's you know, for developers by developers? Yeah, so I'm actually only about a year into my tenure at Amazon Web Services. I come from a little bit longer background in some other technology companies working specifically on developer tools. So having worked on various IDEs and uh, developer productivity tools, and then having transitioned over the last number of years to building large-scale cloud services. This is sort of the the marriage of those two worlds, if you will, building right. developer productivity tools that are enabled by these large-scale AI cloud services. Do you mind dating yourself a, p- a bit? You want to tell folks what your first IDE was or where you wrote your first line of code? Oh, man, it's been a long time. I I grew up with a, a Radio Shack TRS-80 or Tandy. I guess uh-huh. it was TRS-80 yeah. computer. Uh, I stored my applications on cassette tape. Nice. It was very exciting stuff. I don't remember what episode it was. We were talking to somebody at a big tech firm about databases and storage security, and they said, you know, they still keep it all on tape somewhere in a vault. The important stuff still goes goes to tape and gets locked down inside of like a mountain silo somewhere. So I did spend a, a little bit of my career as a tape librarian doing disaster recovery yeah. and backup, you know, back in the day. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it's better than BitRoth, they say, you know, for the long term, if you're going to put it in cold storage, you want it on tape. Very cool. So since you said you've been with Amazon for a year, does that mean that the Code Whisper project predates you or did you come in as its inception or, yeah, put me in relation to where you started on the project and when the project started? Yeah, when I joined, uh, Code Whisper had already been started. In fact, AWS had already done the preview announcement back in June of 2022. Uh, so a few months before I joined, had released the preview. It was a closed preview. So you signed up and you got access to it and were able to use it. And then Shortly after I joined, we took it into a public preview back nice. in November of last year before we finally made it generally available in April of this year. I think that there was a bug bounty program we did a podcast with with Amazon. And at the time, they were talking to us about something called Code Guru or Bug Guru. And it was a similar idea, but it was for security. Are those things in the same family? Are they related? Like how big is the Code Whisper project and does it have different tentacles? They're related. In addition to my role as the general manager for Code Whisper, I'm also the general manager for Code Guru Security, which is okay. It's really a product designed around the security aspects of software development and finding and identifying security vulnerabilities in your software. Yeah. So, from a fundamental level, as someone you know who started back in the Tandy Radio Shack days, where do these things fit into the software development process? You know, what is the best way to think about them? Are they autocomplete tools? Are they pair programmers? And as they become more and more capable, where should they sit in relation to the software developer, the product manager, and the organization? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a fascinating evolution of these tools. Having worked on these developer productivity tools for a long time and sort of been part of the evolution from the early days of things like auto completion, where 
you know, I type a class name, I hit a period, and all of a sudden I get the methods and properties that are part of that class, which is really just a dictionary lookup of what's available for that class, to now having an AI who's sort of omnipresent, if you will, or, or just kind of there with me. Yeah. Not just responding to my actions. Not, it's not just like, oh, I hit a period and I get the, the methods and properties, but actually trying to predict what I'm doing next and suggesting to me, much like if you and I were to sit down and code an application and be like, hey, Doug, why don't you try this? Right. Um, that's really what it's about. This idea of, of an AI companion is a little bit more evolved than, than think about something like auto-completion, but that is sort of the nature of it. It's, it's the evolution of these tools into, you know, as technology advances and as you can do more things, uh, yeah. the tools advance with it and it becomes bigger, better, faster, stronger. So in the way that it's deployed right now for users, do they have the option to have it kind of like an autocomplete, like I start on something and then it finishes the sentence, but also, you know, there's a, maybe a more robust version, like you said, where I say, Hey, I'm thinking about this feature. Like, you know, can you build me maybe a rough sketch of what the backend should look like? Like when people are interacting with code whisperer, what are the different modalities they're in? So right now there's basically two ways of interacting with code whisperer. Um, you don't necessarily make a conscious choice on how to do this. It's more about what you're doing at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, in one way, as I'm writing code, Code Whisper is constantly paying attention. And we have an ML classifier that runs on the client side that tries to decide when is the best time to make a suggestion for you based on what you're doing and what your likelihood of needing and wanting that suggestion is. So as you're writing code, you know, it might suggest how to complete that section of code. Or you might, for example, as you start writing a function signature, it might, you know, suggest how you finish that function signature. Right. It might suggest how you finish the entire function as well. Mm. Um, and so some of that's just the context of as I'm writing code, Code Whisperer is trying to sort of accelerate me along with what I'm doing. The other way it works is through natural language, where I write a comment that describes what my intent is which is very common in software development, right? I, I write a comment to describe a function or a class. Right. Coming back to this part, it's going to make everything yeah. work better, faster, fix this yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, as you write the comment, Code Whisper understands the, the natural language comment that you've written and then says, okay, if I say, oh, I want a function that does, you know, whatever, um, then it goes, oh, I know how to do that. And it writes that function for you. And right. so the idea, like, you know, from a productivity tool standpoint, if you think about like, what is our goal? Our goal is time, right? We want to reduce the time it takes to do things, particularly the most mundane and boilerplate things that mm -hmm. we want to free you up from so you can use your mental energy, your cognitive energy on creative, right. new kind of things. So if I can take a small task of maybe writing a function that might take you a few minutes to do and make it a one minute task, like if I could take that three, four, five minute task, and make it a one, two minute task, I've saved you a bunch of time. And if I do that enough times, throughout the day, right. that accrues to a pretty significant time savings. So for the developer who's listening, when you say it's sort of familiar with what you're doing, it's familiar within you know, an IDE, within a repo, within a branch, within your company's code base, like how does it know what you're working on? And then once we answer that, I guess the obvious next question is like, how do you think about you know, privacy and security and governance? Like, is it when folks are working within the AWS environment and so they have all those guarantees? You know, when somebody's at a private institution and they have proprietary code, how do they allow Code Whisper to help them but feel comfortable doing that? Yeah, Ben, you packed a lot into that question. Let me try to break down. So in some ways, it's best, you know, we sort of personify Code Whisper a little bit to try to make the analogy, right? So Code Whisper, if you go get the Code Whisper extension, which is the AWS toolkit, that's where you find Code Whisper, you install it. The analogy is it's like having a developer come sit next to you and they understand, you know, 15 different programming languages and, and lots of different frameworks they can help you with a bunch of different tasks and do a bunch of different things. 
And so immediately you're getting this productivity gain of like, oh, I'm working on a Java app and it understands all these different frameworks and it can write code for me right? and help me along. One of the announcements we recently made was for the ability to customize code was perfect. Mm. So the idea that if you take the analogy of the, the personification and then Code Whisperer in that context would be like having a new hire developer join your team. They understand the basics of software development. They know how to write code in lots of different ways, but they don't understand your code that's in your right. organization that's private and proprietary. Right. And so the ability to customize Code Whisperer would be like turning that developer into a more veteran developer. Mm. That now with the customization capability, you can say, Code Whisperer, go look at this code that I have. Get smart about this code that I have so that you can start making suggestions that align with how we write code or the internal libraries we use or the internal APIs we have. And then those suggestions start to look more like the code within my organization. So now it's the difference between a new hire developer and maybe a three-year veteran developer right. in my organization. That makes a lot of sense. And so the way to do it is within the AWS ecosystem. And so that's where, you know, like things like security and governance and privacy all come in. You know, I like the idea that you said that you can familiarize it with, you know, what you're working on, but it's sort of baked into an ecosystem that already has all those terms and services and agreements in place. Yeah, well, it's an interesting way to, to talk about it. So there's two sides of that. There's Code Whisper is an AWS product. And so it right. comes with all of the sort of promises that come with working with AWS. And in fact, right. for Code Whisper in particular as our very first generative AI product, we took a really early position on things like responsible AI and what we, mm. what we wanted to do in how we built these tools. And so things right. like, for example, one of the features of Code Whisper is a reference tracker, meaning if Code Whisper makes a suggestion and that suggestion has a high level of similarity to some of its training data, mm. and that training data is from a licensed open source repository, we'd say, hey, this code matches this open source repo. It's under this particular right. license, and here's where you can go right. find it, and you can make a decision about whether or not you want to use it. Right. And that's really important in terms of how Super developers important. work and how developers work with and leverage open source projects. Yeah. And so in, in terms of that ecosystem, I think you get all the promises and guarantees that come with an AWS product and our position on trust and security and responsibility. Mm -hmm. But Code Whisper itself is capable of working outside the AWS ecosystem. If you want to, you know, write code for AWS, Code Whisper is really good at it. But a lot of times developers have to work across different clouds or different platforms. Sometimes you're working partially on-premise and partially in the cloud. And Code Whisper is capable of generating code for all of those environments. Nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you brought up the issue of licensing. You know, we have Overflow AI and sort of the works and similar idea. It's going to show the you know, links back to the questions that the synthesized answer came from. That way you can also yeah. sort of reward the human who produced it and the code that people share on Stack Overflow is licensed in a certain way. And so you can decide uh, if that works for you. So you mentioned that it was your first generative AI product. Under the hood, does it work in a way that's similar to other gen AI products they might be familiar with, which is to say, you've trained a large language model on a lot of code. You can speak to it in natural language and it can both speak back to you in natural language and also write code? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's exactly right. We've built a large language model. Coincidentally, we call it the Code Whisper model. Uh, it is sure. trained on billions of lines of code. We've augmented it with best practice code for how to work with AWS so that it's really good at doing things for AWS. And so that's exactly how it works. And, and the idea here is that we wanted to build and design a model that's capable of generating code quickly so that we can have that in IDE experience where you have a really low latency, sub-second suggestion time, things like that and to be capable across a number of different languages. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day from Replit, and they were sort of saying there is 
a balancing act between a big foundation model and a small model. And when you're trying to do something in the autocomplete world, you need to match the speed of thought, or otherwise people will have typed past it. And so that kind of low latency is obviously really important. Exactly. There's definitely a difference from a developer's perspective of what I'm doing in the IDE and if the response time is fast enough versus if I'm having um, like a request response type of exchange, you know, like right. a, a dialogue. I tolerate latency a lot more in a dialogue like that than I do in my IDE. And so that subsecond latency time is really important. Is there almost like a new sort of like build time experience where you used to sort of say like, you know, I'm working on this, but I, I can't quite get this, right? I'd really love a feature that does that. You know, can you come up with some ideas? And if you come back in 10 minutes, or you come back in two hours, or you come back the next day, like it has a, it sort of built out a suggestion for you? I think we're going to see a lot of evolution in the Gen AI space towards things like that, where you have this concept of, you know, AIs or agents that kind of work on your behalf, where you can, right. you can send them off to do long running tasks and come back to right. them later. I think that's going to be yeah. a very commonplace thing in the future. Cool. Yeah, I guess the ability to work through a problem and iterate on it step by step, it seems to be one of the things that large language models actually inherently sort of like improves their performance, right? Like if they do chain of thought reasoning and they're their own critic, they tend to do better than their one shot sort of zero shot suggestion. Correct. It's fascinating to, to see these things evolve and how they work and the idea that you can sort of take the results from the language model and feed it back to the language model to you know sort of improve and, and add more context to it. And you know the idea that you can iterate an idea or you can have it execute something and then give it feedback on, on the results and it goes and does it again. The capabilities of large language models are fascinating. And I think we're barely scratching the surface of some of the right, different right. use cases and things we're going to have. All right. Well, I'll ask you a question that you probably won't be able to answer, but you know, we saw Vision GPT recently. And one of the really interesting things there was, oh, I love this website. Let me take a screenshot. Can you code me up a site that looks like this? Or I heard an academic talking about it and they had written, you know, a diagram. Oh, you know, could you uh, extract from this, you know, the math equation, you know, in a certain sort of like arcane, you know, academic language and it's able to do it. Do you see multimodal models in the future for Code Whisper and Guru? Um, I definitely see like these ideas are ideas where we experiment with in a lot of different ways. Whether or not we package those as part of Code Whisper or part of something else is, is to right. be determined. But I think these are areas that we're investigating constantly. We have a big research team, a big data science team, and we're always looking at the advancements in large language models and the different ways that we can use them to make you know, AWS customers more successful. And we have a lot of great ideas that we're working on that I think will be fun to, to share in the future. Um, whether or not they're labeled Code Whisper or something else, I think is right. to be determined. Right, right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I guess on that note, does this tie back in any way to the Bedrock products or those separate, you know, different ideas inside of Amazon working in this space? Sort of functionally, they're, they're very related. The Code Whisper team and the Bedrock team uh, work very closely together because we're all working in the same sort of space of the large language models and how we're operating. Right. So there's you know, a lot of, uh, of collaboration and sharing that happens, particularly on the science side on how we're building these things and working with them. Yeah. So you mentioned that it speaks 15 different languages and then obviously understands a lot of frameworks. Is that something that's evolving? Like, have you added a number of languages over the last year and do you see it, you know, multiplying from there? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that's evolving from when we first, you know, announced Code Whisper back in 2022 to where we are today. You know, we started with just a few and we've added a bunch. One of the challenges that we face is right now, there's a bit of a disparity between the languages in terms of their capability. Mm. And it's partially by design and related to our responsible AI approach. And so we have, you know, if you were looking at Code Whisper last week, there would be five languages that have sort of the most support in terms of they can do single line completions, but they can also do function 
you know, completely. They can give you 20 lines, 30 lines of code at a time. Right. And then the 10 other languages really only ever give you one line at a time. If you're mm -hmm. working in SQL or Go or Rust, um, you would just get one line at a time. And that was mostly us constraining the language model to have smaller output size until we could make sure that our reference tracker uh, was doing the right thing in terms of identifying the potential of open source code and the suggestions so that it can notify you of that. And so as we um, get to a point of confidence with our reference tracker capabilities with a given language, then we expand the capability of that language. So actually just this week, we did sort of a model refresh, if you will, mm -hmm. a number of different capabilities of that, that model refresh. But one of them was that five more languages moved from single line completions to function completions, uh, SQL, Kotlin, Go, Rust, and PHP. Nice. So if you were using Code Whisper, you know, a week ago, you were getting one line, and now today you're getting full function completions. Mm. Like so we're sort of always evolving and trying to expand what the product is doing. I think there's a question that we are always asking about, like how many languages do we need to support, given right. that we want to support them in the right way from a responsible AI approach. And so we've currently limited it to 15. The, the model is actually capable of many more languages than the 15 that we exposed, mm -hmm. but we just want to be really sure we're doing it the right way. Right. And obviously, AWS and Amazon, super global companies, is it available in multiple languages or only English for now? This was another thing I was listening to an interesting talk about, which is like, it just seems like most big foundational models, and maybe that's because of the corpus on the internet, you know, are sort of trained mostly in English data. They can actually speak other languages, but kind of to your point, they were saying, if you wanted to speak French, you could up its accuracy there by studying some French data and get 10%, 20% better but the English performance would go down one or 2%. And is that something you want? And so it's sort of a trade off there. But do you think about, you know, how you would expand this globally? Obviously, Amazon has customers. Oh, we're always thinking about that. And we're always listening to our customers and getting feedback from them. And, you know, partially it's, you know, where do you start and where do you go to? So we started by saying it's English only. Right. And that's more of a, like, from a support standpoint, like, hey, we validated that it works for English and it does all the things you want it to do in English. Very quickly, as soon as we released Code Whisper. We saw lots of things showing up on all the various social media sites of people like, here's it working in Spanish. Here's it working in Japanese, and, you know, because mm. the models are very capable. Because when you train on such a large corpus of data, you have a lot of variety in that data. And so it's really easy to discover that you support things or the model is capable of doing things maybe that you don't claim support for, right. which is sort of a use it, you know, yes, it can do it. It's not something we're backing. The emergent yeah. properties are the fun and the scary part, right? I mean, exactly. what can it do that we don't know about? Can it play chess, Doug? Do you know? Have you asked it? I haven't tried to play chess, but I will say like, just prior to reInvent last year, I was playing around with it and I ended up having a, a conversation with Code Whisper via comments in code. And so I would right. write a comment and ask a question. Code Whisper would answer the question. I'd ask a follow-up right. question. So it, it, again, not a use case we designed it for, right. but it's fascinating what these models are capable of. Yeah. Is it a snarky or respectful coworker? I'd like to know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so far, quite respectful, actually. <laughs> so far. Yeah. Easier to work with than your average developer. Great. Well, is there anything else you'd like to touch on, whether that be you know something we didn't talk about specifically in terms of a value prop or something that's like a little bit future looking that you, know, you want to hint at a roadmap or send somebody towards? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing I'm most excited about, and, and this is sort of more of a point in time, what I'm excited about right now today about Code Whisper is the evolution we're making with the model. Like I said, this, this evolution of supporting these languages in a bigger and better way, but even more so this ability to customize Code Whisper to understand your private code and respond in a way that aligns with how you work. Every large company that I've talked to since the day I started has been asking about this ability, like how do I get Code Whisper to understand my code? And some of it you can get through right. context, but context is limited. And see the idea that we can actually provide a way to customize Code Whisper to understand your code and respond in, in that way 
is very important. And I think we're going to see uh, some tremendous results. We've already seen just through some of our beta customers, we had persistent systems ran sort of a cohort study where they had people using Code Whisper to build a, an application and they had people using the customized version of Code Whisper to build the same application. And they saw about a, almost a 30% productivity gain with the right. customized version of Code Whisper. So there's definitely value in, in doing that. It's super exciting for me. I'm, I mean, it makes so much sense. You know, every big company, it's a hairball of tech debt yeah. and architectural choices and dependencies. And, you know, if you know all those things and you're the veteran there, you're going to solve things a lot faster than if you're, right. you know, a new hire. So it makes a lot of sense. When everybody builds a wrapper around something, they build a right. library to abstract something. Right. And if your code tools don't know those things, you're never going to get suggestions to use those things. And you start to get more and more divergence in your code base. So mm. the more we understand that, the more consistent that code base becomes. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting sort of <laughs> set of ideas to work through, which is like, do I want this, you know, system to learn on all the code that's written inside of my company or the, the code I think is best or from all the engineers who have contributed or the 10 that I think like, you know, because like garbage in, garbage out, right? I mean, it's going to learn, yeah. you know, the good things and the bad quirks as well. So it's kind of a interesting idea of like, right, yeah. when you when you wanted to get to know your system, do you also want it to optimize maybe on top of that or, you know, give you feedback? Yeah, those are the exact kind of questions and challenges we got from, from our customers. And so one of the ways we did this is we said, well, you can point Code Whisper at your repo and it'll just learn from, or, or multiple repos, it'll learn from all those good or bad, whatever's in there, it's going to learn from. Whether that's a GitHub repo, a GitLab repo, a Bitbucket, whatever, it's going to go look at that code and learn from it. Or right. you can curate that code and say, no, I'm, I'm going to go find the best practice code. I'm going to find the good implementation. I'm going to go get this stuff. I want to go put that in a secure S3 bucket, point code whisper at that, and it's going to learn from that. So right. it's a really great point to say, hey, not every not every line of code we've written is great. <laughs> so we really need to maybe curate that a little can bit. Code, can code say, can you go in and like delete all the code we don't need? Like, let's talk tech debt here. Like, go in and take out, you know, all the cruft and like, let's make things a little more readable and a little faster, right? A little less memory intensive. So that'll come someday. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a ton of places we want to go with things like supporting refactoring or application right. transformation or some of these different right. things that are these really arduous jobs that developers yeah. have to take on that aren't fun. They're not glamorous. They're not glorious, but they're right. necessary. And the more we can speed those up, the better. <sighs> I mean, you're talking to a guy who used to write SEO content for a living. So, you know, if the AI robots want to do that, be my guest. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. All right. It is that time of the show, everybody. Let's shout out a Stack Overflow question, someone who came on and helped spread a little knowledge. Mandoina B wants to know, I couldn't find the start button under Code Whisper in the AWS Toolkit. But luckily, somebody came on, solved the issue for them. They're using uh, IntelliJ here. So you just got to update to the latest version and the startup button will appear. Turn it on, turn it off again. Usually works for me. Yeah, definitely make sure whenever you're doing this, make sure you have the latest IDE and the latest toolkit uh, is always yes. the best practice. It's always the best practice. All right, everybody. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter or call it X at Ben Popper. You can email us questions or suggestions for the show, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the conversation, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Doug Seven. I'm the general manager for Amazon Code Whisper. And the best place to go check out is our Code Whisper website on aws.amazon.com slash Code Whisper. Sweet. We'll put it in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.